Good morning. I'm Megan Kennard, and today we will be reading from Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11, which can be found on page 984 in the Pew Bible. It's Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. So I've had it off when I think it's on and on when I think it's off. Have everyone heard me singing throughout the room? Sorry about that. Uh, I feel like something is different this morning with the band. Sorry, Wes. Uh, some bad harmonies for me. Hey, all right. So now we're good. The green light's on. <laughs> right, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thanks for loving us, for seeing us, uh, for having everything we need. Um, thanks that you are mindful of us. When it comes to how we see ourselves, you are um, more realistic, you are more honest, you are more hopeful than we are about ourselves. So I just ask for your perspective this morning, rooted in your word, grounded in what Christ has done for us, uh, for that to wash over us when we think about who we are, what we're trying to do, particularly around being changed and growing and being transformed. Uh, we, We acknowledge we feel stuck sometimes, we feel overwhelmed sometimes. Uh, we're on a fast-paced track to try to keep up with the world around us, um, and you, you have something to say to us about transformation and about change. So, so would you speak? Uh, I pray for freedom in the room. I pray for faith in the room. Would you draw people to yourself? And for those who feel overwhelmed and exhausted, uh, would you speak over them a nourishing, calming word? For those who are hard-hearted, those who feel numb, th- those who feel distant, um, God, would you, would you warm their hearts and would you draw them to yourself? Jesus, all of us need you, and we need you um, in, in some really common ways and some particular unique ways. So uh, help we ask now in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you uh, haven't been with us, we're in this series in Colossians, and it's maybe more than just a series. It's actually a way for us to talk as a church about what we're trying to focus on as a people and what we think it means for us to be followers of Jesus. And I actually spent a lot of time last week uh, kind of working our way through kind of how we understand this passage to be um, instructive to us as a church. It was maybe like 15 or 20 minutes long of an introduction before an introduction. So I'm going to spare you that this morning and maybe just say, if you've not heard us talk about Colossians 3 as kind of a home base for our church, I would encourage you to go back to last week's sermon and um, on your next snow day, just listen to that for a moment and kind of catch up on how we understand this text to serve for us as kind of an E on the I chart of what we're trying to do 
uh, as a people. But, but essentially what we say uh, in this text, and there's a little diagram we'll throw up on the screen. It's on the back of your reading plan as well. But we think this gives us a, a framework for how transformation happens, which is why Jesus came. Jesus said he came to set captives free and to raise the dead and take what was crooked and to make it straight. It's, it's ways of talking about real transformation, which all of us long for. Maybe it's rooted in like an achievement idea you have for yourself. Maybe it's rooted in shame, trying to get better. Maybe it's rooted in something so you could be loved by people. But all of us have this drive or this sense that we need to change, we should change, we, we could change. And that's not a uniquely Christian thing, but, but Jesus speaks to how we change, not from the outside in to earn love, but because of what he's already done for us, we, we can be loved. And so the text starts with an understanding of that, that gospel message that Jesus died in our place to make a way for us to be right with God. And then it moves to things that we choose other than Christ, things that we love more than Him that we need to repent of. And then it tells us how to live a life that's kind of in line with that love of God. So it starts with the gospel, it moves to repentance, and then it goes to learning to walk by the Spirit. And change happens when those things are in place. And the text also gives us ways or practices to engage with transformation. So it talks about the Word, talks about worship, talks about prayer, talks about being in community, these things that we actively do. And then it goes on to say it doesn't just stay with us, it's meant to be moving out to the world around us. And so it goes to our personal relationships, and it goes to marriages and parenting, it goes to the places where we live our lives relationally. And then it goes to social and vocational settings. It's meant to be lived out in this world where we do our jobs and how we think about the world around us. And then it's meant actually to go all the way to people who don't yet know Jesus. And so we talk about the gospel and repentance, learning to walk by faith, being in the Word, being in prayer, being in community, worshiping together, letting that change our personal relationships, our social vocational settings, and then our relationship with outsiders. That's essentially what we're trying to do as a church. And, and every um, year, I think it's wise for us to revisit this. And this year, I wanted to use the ideas of, of how does identity get formed? How does, it, how does it shape us to think about who we are? How do we take those ideas and pull them down into our actual life? And I've been pretty influenced by a few authors that, that talk about community is where identity is formed. You learn something about yourself from your family. You learned it from the schools that you went to, from your friendships early on, even your work and the church even now. We're learning and like have receiving an understanding of our identity. The internet tells us something. Our political parties tell us something. Everyone's screaming at us who we're supposed to be. And identity is formed when we realize who we are and then what it's like to live like us. And, and communities kind of say that. They say this is who we are. And then here's what it means to live like us. And you can think about the Bible kind of giving that to us. This is what Jesus has said is true about us. And because of that, here's how we want to live. And the way that's functioning in this text is even the, the idea to start with our identity being rooted in Jesus. He calls it being hidden with Christ, being, being covered by Christ, being, being grounded in Jesus. That is where our identity comes from. What's unique about Christianity is not the quest for identity, it's, it's where it's resourced, it's where it starts, and it starts with what Jesus has done. So we've said our identity is not something that we're striving for. We're not doing things to get an identity. Our, our, our doing comes out of an identity. It's not for, but from an identity. So in that chapters 3, 1 to 4, that's where we were last week, that we are hidden with Christ and God. He gives us that identity. 
And then if we say, well, then what's it like to live like us? If that's who we are, then how are we supposed to live? And working through this text, I try to pull just some values. We want to talk about being a people that are free to be honest, a people that are free to forgive, a people that are free to be, to be thankful, people that are free to live in relationships, but people that are free to be outward focused. So, so who we are is made right with God because of what Christ has done. How we live is expressing that in our relationships. And this morning we want to talk about simply being honest. What, what does it mean to be an honest people? Letting the truth of what Jesus has done for us actually shape our honest assessment of who, of who we are. So I really simply want to just talk about being honest about ourselves, which would then take us to being honest about Jesus. And then I want to make some application. And these stools are here uh, to maybe whet your appetite to like a little conversation I want to have with one of our members who I think in the last couple of years has really grown in this that I thought as an application or illustration rather than me telling some stories, you could just hear from one of our members. So by way of application, I want you to hear of somebody's journey with, with honesty and openness. So that's, that's where I want us to go. Okay, so first then, the text invites us to be honest about ourselves because of what Jesus has done. So look in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3. He says, Put to death there for what is earthly in you. And he just names it like it's there. He names it like it's something that you must be doing. It's like it's something that is the reality. Do this because there are earthly things in you. Remember the text right above there, he told us to, to set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. But he's speaking to Christians. He's talking to those who do know Christ. So he's saying, hey, there's a, a pattern or a habit or a, a necessary function of your life going forward where you'll have to continually be honest about what's earthly in you. And he's going to give us two categories. One is sensual or sexual, and, and one is more moved towards anger or, or power. So look at the list here. He says, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked. This is the way you used to be when you were living in them, but, but now... You must put them all away. You must take them off. It's a way of talking about repentance. And he gives us another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then he just says, this is for everyone. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. It's a way of welcoming all of us to be honest about our brokenness, regardless of our background or our past. Read in those descriptions there in verse 11, like religious people, non-religious people, those who followed the rules, those who didn't even know there were rules. He talks about all that range of people saying, all of us have a need to do this. Okay, the Bible is brutally honest about the nature of our brokenness. And it invites you to be honest by giving names and descriptions to the places where you tend to struggle. And, and by naming it, he's not just simply poking a finger at you. I think he's naming it to say, oh, that, that's inside of me. What if I could be freed from that? That's actually something I wrestle with. And so to, to see what I wrestle with on a page in front of me in black and white says that God already knows. It says that other people deal with this. And it's an invitation to us to be a little bit more honest. And it's significant, I think, that he names kind of two sets, two, two kinds of sin or two categories of sin. I don't think it's meant to be exhaustive, but it is meant to say there are people who struggle more on this kind of sexual, sensual side. 
And there are people who struggle more on this kind of power, anger side. There's a New Testament scholar named M.T. Wright. He says this, These verbs introduce two lists of vices, one related to sexual sin and the other sins of anger. The two lists are classic statements of the way in which Christians can be untrue to themselves and more importantly, untrue to God. But by blatantly naming sins which are often excused or glossed over with euphemisms, Paul sets a clear standard for the church, both ancient and modern. Many Christians tend to concentrate on one list or the other. One knows of Christian communities that would be appalled at the slightest sexual irregularity, but which are nests of malicious intrigue, backbiting, gossip, and bad temper. On the other side, there are people who are concerned to live in untroubled harmony with one another, so much so they might be tempted to tolerate flagrant immorality. The gospel, however, leaves no room for behavior of, of either side. What I love about this is it, it takes into account the idea that you look to soothe and comfort and get control in a couple of different ways. Some of you guys are appalled by angry people. The thought of somebody not being honest about someone else, a gossiper is like the worst of sins in your mind. For, for other people, it is these sexual sins, this unfaithfulness, these things that you're un unclear about. You feel maybe even like this visceral response to the dysfunction in our culture that happens sexually. So, so imagine like a range. And what Paul is doing in this text is laying out for us these poles and saying, okay, if those are the two poles, find yourself in there somewhere. Identify with some of these things in ways that actually would bring you to the table as an invitation to be honesty. And, and think about it like this, like, like sexual immorality, like the core, and then he's going to go out in concentric circles. Well, there's kinds of impurity as well. There's, there's kind of un unbridled passion. There's evil desires, even going all the way to wanting something that's not yours. You may say, I don't have a sexual sin in the body, but I have it in my mind or in my thoughts when I, I want something that's not mine. And then with anger, maybe you wouldn't find yourself an angry person. That's the core. But, but then it goes to wrath or, or malice or, or speaking of someone sideways with slander. And then even like obscene talk, he moves in, in layers. The whole thing is designed there to help you say, man, I need to be honest. And that he's put it in black and white is an invitation to you. To be a people that are rooted in the gospel is to be a people that are honest about our need for God. And it's not just a historic background need, it's an ongoing need. Again, he's saying this to Christians. It's an active thing to put this to death now. So be honest about the kinds of things, and then be honest about the severity of these things. We tend to live with our own dysfunction for so long, we kind of get comfortable with it or cozy with it or begin to explain or excuse it. We feel entitled to certain reactions. Again, if you're not an angry person, somebody who is angry might be appalling to you. Or if you don't struggle with sexual sin, then maybe somebody who does might be really frustrating or overwhelming for you because you've gotten used to your own dysfunction. It's hard for you to maybe understand someone else's. But what the text does is invites us to be fully honest and then to see the severity of these things that we often just tolerate. Would you come back into the text here? Look at the end of verse 5. He calls these things idolatry. You're like, well, it's just wanting something somebody else has. Like, who doesn't do that? We, we live in 2024, like all of us are wrestling with materialism and with body image. Of course, we want to look like somebody else or have what someone else has. It's just part of our culture. But, but this passage says that's actually a form of false worship, which is like treason. 
It's like looking to that thing to be the thing that would actually rescue and save you. So what the Bible does isn't just invites you to categories. It invites you to see those things at the root of what they really are, which is a promise to rescue you and make you okay apart from God. When the Bible uses other lists, like in Galatians, it will talk about the same thing here with a fruit or an agrarian illustration. We'll talk about the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. It's super helpful because what it means is these aren't just bad things we should stop doing. They are the fruits of other things that are inside our hearts. Jesus talks this way. He says, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So, so sensual things and angry things that are rooted in desires I have to make myself okay, to use someone else to, to make me okay, to commodify or consume or compete with someone else, those are actually rooted not just in behavior, but in things that promise us that if we had them, we would be okay. We would finally be whole. We would we'd be able to cope with life. And these are lies we've heard all the way back to our first parents back in the garden. There was a lie that entered into the human story that God isn't enough. You need something else outside of Him if you're ever going to be whole and okay. And we have filled in the gaps with that with power and approval and comfort and control in all kinds of ways. But what the text is saying is these aren't just like hang-ups you have. They're not just bad habits that you should try to break. They're not just things that you want to hide so you don't get embarrassed. At the core of them, they promise you some sort of salvation. Have you thought about that before? Have you thought about the compulsions of your life that you keep going to, not just as habits or reflexes, but but they actually promise you a kind of wholeness. And to keep looking to something that's created to fill the gap that only the Creator could fill is why it's so maddening, because you have it and you feel like it doesn't work, so you need more of it. Something must be wrong with you, something must be wrong with that person. So we keep going down roads to just add more and more and more, because they're never going to fully satisfy. The passage here invites us to be honest, not just about what we do, but the nature of, of where it comes from. And then the severity of it. Because at this point you might be going like, okay, that's an interesting idea. I don't really think of myself as an idol worshiper, but I'll consider that. And what he goes on to talk about is the consequences of this or the implications of this. Look in verse 6. He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So the Bible is honest from the top to bottom. It's honest about God's love for us. It's honest about our need for God. It's honest about the ways we struggle And it's honest about the nature of our sin. This idol worship, this treason, actually deserves judgment. Deserves the wrath of God. The sin isn't just habits and hang-ups. It's something that actually is rebelling against our Creator, saying no to Him as the one who would satisfy and turning to some other lover to actually rescue us. So, So Romans would talk about the wages of sin being death. Romans 6, talking about about sin itself being death. So again, these are not like habits. They're not just actions. They're not just things we do because they promise us a kind of salvation. They they deserve or it's right for God to actually judge them with His wrath. Okay, to be honest about ourselves and about what's going on is the invitation of this text. Would you scan your life and think about which way you tend to fall? Where, Where would you go when you felt anxious? Where would you go when you felt insecure, where would you go when you felt entitled? If you've been serving other people, you've been pouring out and no one's pouring back into you, where do you go to reward yourself? 
When no one else is looking, where does your mind or heart go? That's what this text is inviting you to think about. And to think about it not just in terms of behavior, but in terms of worship and in terms of things that actually deserve the wrath of God. Okay, if you're like me at this point, you're like, whew, got a long list. Maybe I got to get better and try harder. And so now we need to move in the text where the text takes us to not just being honest about ourselves, because honesty is not the end goal. Jesus is the end goal. Just simply being honest would never actually rescue us. And you all know friends who, in conflict or whatever, will say like biting, hurtful, stabbing things and just go, I'm just being honest. And you're like, well, yeah, but like that doesn't help anything. That wasn't actually what I needed in that space. So honesty itself, like if you could just be more uh, open or more disclosed or more vulnerable, that wouldn't be a way to salvation. You need that honesty to take you somewhere, which is where the text goes. So, so an invitation to be honest about our own selves, our own sin, and, it's an, and an invitation to be honest about who Jesus is and what he has provided for us. So look back at verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, and, and don't lie to one another. He breaks stride a little bit in the way it's formed in the Greek. The grammar changes in verse 9. This is where I got this idea of being honest. Like, right, in light of these things, hey, don't lie to one another, to yourself. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The text itself kind of brackets this call to repentance with a reminder of what Jesus has done at the beginning of chapter 3. And then even in verse 12 of chapter 3, the very next section, he's going to say, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And he's going to tell us then how to act, how to have compassionate hearts and kindness and humility. So you could say from last week, like to be hidden with Christ in God, even the idea of being honest is hidden with Christ in God. It starts with what Christ has done and what he says is true about us. It ends with a reminder of that. Wedged in the middle of there is this invitation for you to be honest, but it only makes sense or is hopeful because Jesus himself is also honest. He's honest about what he came to do. He's honest about the nature of your need. He's honest about the extent of his salvation. He's honest about the idea that he died on a cross to be a ransom for you so you wouldn't have to pay this wrath. So that your idolatrous heart could be turned back to true worship. But the invitation isn't just be honest about yourself as if that would fix you. You just being honest wouldn't save you. That honesty, though, takes you to a place where you realize you need a Savior. And, and the text says, like, take, take these things off, realizing that you actually are being changed and transformed. You've taken off these old practices and have, have put on the new self. This is identity language. He's saying, hey, be honest about what Jesus has done. Be honest about the nature of what Christ has accomplished for you. And be honest that it's not finished yet. Come back into verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, you've put off the new self, which is being renewed. It actually has more that's available to you. You're going to continue to grow in this. Romans 7 and first, uh, Philippians 1 talk about our continued struggle and God's continued commitment to us. So there's an honesty about our brokenness and an honesty about the redemption that's available because of what Jesus has done. It's a, a possibility to change because we can identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Him dying in our place frees us from the allure of the sin that so easily entangles us is the way the Bible talks. And then to move towards His stable, steadfast love for us gives us a space where we can be honest with hope. 
We can be honest and still turn to God in ways that actually now see Him as the one that we need. So, so there's this honest invitation about your own brokenness and then an honesty about who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Which that second part might be more difficult for you. Maybe you can be plenty honest about your own brokenness and that leads you to some sort of shame and maybe you just stay right there. But the text doesn't stay there. The text moves your heart past your own awareness to an awareness of what Jesus has done, right? To be renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is a gospel-centered understanding of an ability to change as we're open about where we need to change and we receive what Christ has done for us. He's the one who died. He's the one who rose. He's the one who's coming again. And that gives us all kinds of hope for change, to be honest about the possibility of redemption, to be honest about the ability to actually be forgiven is where this text takes us. And if you can hold both of those, if you can hold an honest assessment of your own brokenness and an honest understanding of the redemption Christ offers, then you can engage in this taking off and putting on, this repenting and turning while you turn to God and not see it as a work that's going to make you right with God because you already have that in Jesus. Now you can put in effort to actually move towards holiness. Not to get love, but because you are loved. Uh, Dallas Willard has famously said that grace is not opposed to earning. I'm sorry, not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. That's an important mess up. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So so go back up into verse 5. He starts this way with this violent language, put to death what is earthly in you. So these honesty moments aren't just letting us navel gaze and to think thoughts. The text calls us to action. It calls us to war. It calls us to effort. Because of what Christ has done in His effort for our redemption, His broken body and shed blood, it patterns for us ways that we can actually engage in this effort as well. It's a beautiful reminder of the effort in holiness that Jesus makes possible. It's not put out the effort so you can be loved. It's because you have been loved. Right? That word therefore is super important. It's just put to death therefore. That therefore is referencing back to what Christ has done where we were last week, this union with Jesus because you have already been united with him. If the sin that we're so tempted with are um, temptations or efforts or promises of wholeness to stop and remember that we already have wholeness in Jesus as followers of Christ helps us then to stop and to put to death and to choke out the things of this life that we tend to go to the the habits and reflexes that we've had so so an honesty about ourselves and an honesty about what Jesus has done for us hey there's tons of application for this I, I want us to be an honest people Because this text would say then you you should anticipate needing to change. So you shouldn't be shocked when you blow it. You shouldn't be shocked when you find yourself in situations where you're like, man, I thought I was over this. Or I can't believe those words left my lips. Or I can't believe I'm still tempted with this. The text says to us we're going to struggle our our whole life to take these things off and put these things on. So, So we get to be an honest people if we'll engage the passage, and we say out loud together, we anticipate needing to change. So the question for us, like in a small group, when we try to unburden ourselves, is not, did you struggle this week? It's, where, where did you struggle this week? 
What if the anticipation was to be so honest about this text that we said, hey, there are things in my life, even in these concentric circles, there's stuff that may be socially acceptable that I haven't even thought about yet that are still small substitutes for Jesus that he wants to heal and cleanse me from. So you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be shocked with your own brokenness or shocked with someone else's brokenness. If, if you're still in process needing redemption, then the people around you surely can be in process and in need of redemption. I get, I get most twisted up when I am surprised by my brokenness and think I should be over it by now. I'm most tempted to hide when I think I shouldn't be dealing with this anymore. I don't know if you're in that space with me, but it's like, man, I'm 47 years old. I've been married for 25 years. I'm a dad of teenagers. I, I shouldn't be dealing with this like I was back when I was 14 and 15 and 17. And in those spaces, because I'm not honest that my redemption should last my entire life, I'm tempted to hide in those spaces. Okay, so what if as a community we so believed these words that we would for the rest of our life be invited to take off the things of the flesh and put on the things of the Spirit? The Bible says that actually is never finished until the next life. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began to go work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, which means you're not going to be finished in this life, and there's a promise that Christ is with you. One day it will all be made new. So we get to be a community that's not surprised. We get to be a community that unburdens in ways that we actually anticipate needing change. We get to be a community that actually can name spaces of our brokenness. The reason why we do confession almost every Sunday is to give you language to think about, oh yeah, that's, that's a space in my heart. Even though 1 through Colossians 3, there's things in this that you haven't called the stuff you struggle with yet. You haven't given it a name. So to call it something helps you actually step away from it. We try to have prayer during communion. So we've moved it here to this front pew to just have you in the room, come forward, take communion if you're a follower of Jesus, and then have someone pray for you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, just come and have somebody pray for you. And it's, it's a way to say, hey, we together have needs, and we want to bring that open into the light. Even communion is an expression of honesty to say, I have needs that only the broken body and shed blood of Christ could actually meet. We're about to start up a men's group. Uh, it's going to meet on Fridays. That little QR code will take you to a sign-up. Just a space where you can be honest on a Friday morning. And you don't have to hide. You can engage there. So if I say that, if you're like, man, I need a space where I can step into the light, we're trying to create opportunities for you to do that. Our small groups do that. Sunday mornings do that. Our men's ministry, our women's ministry, all these spaces say, hey, together we can be honest because of what Christ has done. There's a million applications. I just wanted to name a couple of them for you, and I wanted to ground them in honesty about the redemption that Jesus makes possible. Okay, with all that said, I want to invite Ryan Lund to come and join me here on these stools. I've known Ryan for a couple of years. He was um, pretty quick to the church after I got here, and so had a chance to walk with he and his wife early in some of those relationships, and um, uh, he's just a man. He puts his uh, pants on one leg at a time like everybody else, uh, but I'm really thankful for Ryan, and he has worked really hard when it comes to coming into the light. So I asked him, hey, would you be willing just to sit with me for a little bit and talk about that for a second? So why don't you come and sit where this microphone is? Um, you could calm him with a little clapping. It would be good. And be like, yeah. Hey, uh. <laughs> just want to make it as weird as I can as we get started. Um, so, so Ryan and I talked through a little bit like, hey, what would be helpful in some of this story? So we have notes just to go like, hey, what would it keep us on track and keep us, keep us moving? Um, but man, I just want to stay in front of uh, these friends of yours, like I'm really thankful for you and really, really proud of you. When we first met, you were in a pretty tough spot. Um, 
So I'd love just maybe to start there. So we met in 2021. Uh, you were humble enough to go, hey, we need, some, we need some help. You'd already been on a little bit of a journey already, though. So why don't you just start there? Tell us what was going on even when, when we met and maybe what was happening a few years before that that got you to that place. Sure. <clears throat> All right, so I think I could, probably like most of you say, I've done seasons of hiding and seasons of being honest. And um, probably the summer of 2019 was definitely a season of what started a, a long season of, of real hiding. Um, it, was, and it was a hard season. We'd moved to Kansas City. Uh, we bought a house, and, you know, it was our own choice, but we chose to remodel, like, the whole main floor, the kitchen, and it was, we took on a lot of work. Um, I work in construction, and naturally, I'm like, I can do a lot of this myself. Like, let's, let's you know, save some money. Let's take it on. And uh, what ended up happening was I'd work 10-hour days for JE Dunn. I'd come home, and I'd work till midnight, 1, 2 a.m. at home, and, uh, and it's turned into a really tough season. So... We'd moved 1,500 miles. We'd left a really, really great church group in San Diego that we were a part of. Uh, we left a lot of friends behind, um, working two jobs and living in the middle of a remodel, which most of you can understand what that's like. Just that alone is a lot. Um, and it was yeah, just a really hard Little people season. as well. You had little people. Uh, we had one at that point. So nice. Clark would have been one year, one year older. So um, I think I, I had no tools or really desire to talk about what was going on. Um, I didn't have any way to, didn't really want to, and I kind of thought in my pride that I could just muscle through this. I just need to finish this thing. I just need to get through this finish line, and then it will be fine. Um, and that, that didn't really work. <laughs> so with that stress, right, we're saying like often what we do is a symptom of something deeper. Like what, what started happening? Where, does, where were you leaking out? Yeah, um, for me, it, it came out sideways, and it... it it will sound petty, but it's definitely pointing to something deeper. And so what it turned into for me was uh, I would go to Quick Trip, and I would get a soda or cookies or both, and I would use that as a way just to, um, just to like feel some sort of comfort and control. And yeah, it, it feels small, um, but it, it's what I knew how to use, and that's what I chose. And like Chris was talking about, like verses 5 and 8 give lots of other tools like you might want to use, like anger, wrath, malice, slander, uh, sexual immorality. Like those are all different tools that we might different use. But mine was Quick Trip, and it, it, it made me feel better for a little while, um, or at least long enough that I could kind of ignore the rest of life and how it was going, um, and just kind of keep moving. Um, and that's kind of where my life stayed for 16 months. Um, stress in any form, uh, it, whatever form it would take, whether it's work, work on the house, whatever. Um, I'd go to Quick Trip to feel a little better, and that repeated. Uh, I probably went to Quick Trip like 700 times in 16 months, which when I did the math, was like it was a lot. It was a whole lot. Yeah. So then you come to this space, and um, like what changed, or what, what was different, or how, how did you come out of that space? Yeah, um, well, I'd love to say that I had this, like, revelation, and I confessed, and I came clean, but uh, the truth is I got caught. Um, so we were doing our budget uh, Thanksgiving 2020, and Annalise just noticed this, like, repeated trend of quick trip, quick trip, like, 700 times. Uh, and in 16 months, I'd spent $1,300 on soda and cookies, um, and I'd never told her a word about it. Um, 
In fact, I'd worked really hard to hide it so she wouldn't have any idea. So that mostly so she wouldn't ask me what's really going on. You know, like what, what else is there? So yeah, so we're not saying to get a soda or cookies is a sin. <laughs> we're saying to use sodas and cookies as a way to kind of soothe or its comfort, approval, power, control, and even to hide that, to go up. The deeper thing was like, I mean, I'm not being honest with what's happening inside of me. Not just what I'm doing, but like what's actually taking place. That, that was pretty overwhelming. Okay, so um, it never stays in one place, or it never stays with sodas and cookies. <laughs> Talk about the impact on the rest of your life. Talk about what else was happening and, and where else these patterns of hiding and soothing were showing up. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, it obviously broke trust in our marriage. Um, because uh, it doesn't just stay at small purchases. Like, hiding one little thing will translate into hiding a lot of things. Um, and so, like, a natural consequence was, like, I had earned myself was doubt, right? Like, what else are you not telling me? Like, what else is going on? Is there more that you're not saying? And it was totally fair. Like, it was, it's what I'd earned. Um, so it hurt our marriage. It hurt our kids. Um, I think partly because I was spending so much effort hiding mm. that I didn't have any other bandwidth to give now. Um. It's okay. Didn't expect that to be the part that get me, um, and uh, and I think I mean obviously it, it hurt my relationship with God. Um, to get close to Him would inevitably bring me closer to everything I didn't want to acknowledge, right? Um, and so like I mean I didn't I I didn't read my Bible I didn't pray I didn't do any of the things and I just went kind of numb and. I mean, it'd be like telling a friend, um, hey, we can be together a little bit. I'm not going to tell you anything about me, and uh, let's talk in a year or two, you know? And then, I mean, you can imagine that doesn't go well. Yeah. So we said last week, like, the offer is to be hidden with Christ and God. If we don't do that, we're going to hide somewhere else. Um, so do you like, then you get caught, you realize the weight of this, uh, and you begin to kind of work work things out, try to take some steps, try to take off the things of the flesh like this passage is talking about. Talk about that. What was that process like for you to start to move towards honesty? Yeah. Um, it was, I mean, it was a lot of work. Um, I spent a lot of my life kind of ignoring or hiding from what was going on inside of me, um, kind of like my interior world, maybe you'd say, um, and then hiding that from my people. Um, so I had to learn to be honest with what was happening around me and kind of just naming it, I think was a big step. Uh, and it was scary. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy or not hard or not scary. Um, I remember Mike, Mike Loney was our small group leader at that point, and those were the first guys I told. And I remember going to the group that day and just feeling so small and so afraid and just so silly of like, why am I going to tell these guys I've been buying soda and cookies? You know, like, I mean, it just felt so, I mean, dumb, honestly. Um, but then when I did, it was... Um, I just saw kindness on their face. Um, I, just heard, I just heard a ton of grace in their words. And then, like, the, the connection I felt with them, um, it was, uh, yeah, just a real profound experience of grace. Yeah. Because so. all of us have sodas and cookies of some sort. Yeah. To be in a community that's honest about that is huge. That was a little while ago. When you think about like what was really happening, what, what you were hiding from, what was going on, like, do you have any more thoughts there? What was happening that you were tempted to hide that way with? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I was gonna, if I was going to be honest, uh, what was really going on was um, 
I was just really sad, like the loss of friends in San Diego. That's where we lived before. Um, I felt guilty because I wasn't as good of an employee at work as I would have wanted to be just because I was so tired. Um, and uh, I felt lonely being in a new city, and I really felt afraid to tell anybody. Um, would kind of be how I'd summarize it that now. Be, thanks for being honest, man. And I know things aren't like perfect now, and you never attempted anymore, and you've like that's only in the past. I know that's still present, but talk about what may be different now, or how things have changed in the last couple of years as you've taken some steps towards coming out of hiding. Yeah, well, I've got two answers. I've got the prepared answer, and I've got the one from this morning you don't know about. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, I think this would almost be a confession even now of like, I wasn't really nervous to share this with the church. Um, I hadn't, I thought about the audience as a whole. And then being here this morning, uh, I just felt overwhelmed while we're singing and felt in me this like desire to impress specific people that I respect. Um, with like my vulnerability or my honesty or whatever, um, and I just and it was it was good for me to know as oh this is what's going on, and then to like just address with God and be like God I don't need to, I don't need to impress people, um, and just to like say like I, that's what I want and it's not really what I want, um, and so then just to pray about it and be like no, like I don't need to impress anybody I can just talk and. Um, and then also be like, no, my motivation is I want to tell the body they don't have to hide. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not to look good. So that's my unprepared answer. Um, I love that answer. <laughs> um, and then kind of the more prepared one is, um, I think what it looks like now is kind of acknowledging the reality of life, that life's just hard. Um, you know, we've, at least my wife and I have noticed, like, a real shift in where, as kids, we used to be uh, pretty carefree and naive, which is kind of what we want for all of our kids, Right. Have fun, be a kid. Um, and just felt a shift into more awareness of how hard and sad life can be. Um, like an example of that would be this November. Um, well, last December was really hard with Annalise's mom, having a lot of health stuff. And, and uh, so we were kind of putting up our Christmas decorations, doing the stuff. We had went down and cut out, went and cut out a tree, you know, pizza. The kids are just having a great time, like, literally tearing around the house just having a blast and you know and we're we're loving it like it's a really special time and like as we're putting the you know special ornaments on the tree that remind us of certain people um just like tears running down our face too of like this is the part i knew would get me um just remembering the people that like we either have lost or they're like their runway feels pretty short and and I think that'd be a difference is like I think four years ago I just would have like not even made eye contact with her not even leaned into it and now we're like yeah it's really sad and and those people know Jesus like we don't have to just be sad and it can still be sad it's good because it wasn't like you weren't feeling something then and now you are it's like you felt that you just covered it now that you're not covering it, you have to feel it. So talk about like the upside. Talk about like the value of this, right? If we're talking about stepping towards honesty, uh, let's just kind of skip to that space of like why, why, why be honest? What's what's good about being honest in those spaces? Are you want me to skip part of this? Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Or you can do whatever you want to do. Um. 
I think so. I think, to be honest, uh, with community, uh, it has the opportunity to bring you closer to each other. I think that's something that's really important. Like C.S. Lewis, I had a quote from him. He said, a friendship begins when one person says to another, oh, you too? Mm. I thought I was the only one. Mm. Um, and uh, I got this quote from Ed Welch that um, it really spells out the danger in hiding of what go what's going on inside of us. Um, he speaks specifically to sadness, um, but it could be applied to any experience we have. Um, and the quote is, the real danger in stepping on our, on our own sadness by either ignoring it, denying it, or trying to be tough, is that by doing those things, we will never actually go to Jesus. Mm. To say it could be worse is to subtly distance ourselves from Jesus by not telling him the important things we really need to say. That's good. And I think, I think the opposite of that quote is so hopeful. Uh, to engage with our experience, to live fully, to be honest, um, that way of living will inevitably bring us closer to him because we are saying out loud the things that are most important. Yeah. So what would you say, kind of in closing, people in the room who are tempted to hide, who are hiding, who um, have built elaborate networks of how to keep going without being honest about what's happening on the inside or, or their need for Jesus, like, what would you say to them as a, as a way of encouragement? Yeah, um, I would say uh, no matter what you're doing, you're on a road towards pain. Um, but if you just, if you keep hiding it, if you keep not telling people around you, uh, there will be pain there, um, and it's just what it will be. And um, there's so much, there's so much less pain and more look forward to in being honest. Um, yeah. yeah, at least redemption, right? So both are painful. To confess sin to somebody, look them in the eye and watch them hurt is painful, but hiding it's still painful. One has redemption in it. One is this dead end road. Yeah. Thanks for filling in the gaps. Amen. It's all right. Hey, let me pray for you. Um, thank you. Like, thanks for modeling for us. And um, I don't know if you realize, like, the impact of just having somebody in flesh and blood say, here's part of my journey. Um, you, you give us permission to be honest. So um, let me pray for you. Um, and then you can clap for them and we'll wrap up. Jesus, thank you for being safe enough that we can hide in you, for being actually one who satisfies what we're trying to, like, soothe when we hide in something else. You, you actually have what we need. Thanks for your kindness and your patience, your love for Ryan. Thanks for the ways he's responded because of your mercy and grace towards him. I pray, Father, even in this moment as he kind of feels probably exposed in front of the room here, I pray you clothe him in Christ's righteousness, the way this text says to, to put on these things of Jesus. So would you reclothe him in ways that his identity is secure, not because of how well he shared or how much he he shared, or even how good he was at being honest. That doesn't make him right with God. You, you make him right and whole. I pray you could rest in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks, man. Hey, so I, I don't know what's going through your mind when you think about all of that, but um, I know there are lies that we tell ourselves that keep us from being honest. Um, could you bow your head and close your eyes just for a second as we get ready to take communion? Um, let me just name some of these. Uh, there's a lie that this is a private sin. It's just mine. Nobody else is getting hurt. Therefore, nobody needs to know. There's a lie that I don't want to hurt the other person, so I don't want to share this with them. What they don't know won't hurt them. There's a lie that everybody struggles with this, so therefore it's no big deal. I can just keep doing it. There's a lie that I can handle this. I can keep going on my own.
And then there may be some lies that are darker, like, like I'll never be able to change. There's hopeless. There's a lie that if people knew this about me, they would reject me. There's a lie that, that if we um, were genuine about this, if we actually came into the light, uh, then I would lose so much, I would regret being honest. And, and maybe there's a lie that just says, this is too big for other people to handle, even too big for God. I don't know what lies you hear that keep you from being honest, but would you hear that Jesus' love on the cross, Romans 8 says, is strong enough to hold whatever you're dealing with. It actually says that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing you're currently hiding from is big enough or, or uh, generational enough or embarrassing enough or common enough that, that God's love wouldn't actually cover it. And the communion that we take every week reminds us that the broken body and shed blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover the places where we're tempted to hide. Christians, as we take communion here in a moment, I want to invite you to be honest. Be honest about yourself, but also honest about Jesus. What you're going to take in this broken body and shed blood represented in the bread and the cup is a declaration that God sees you, He knows, He's made a way for you to be forgiven and set free, and that allows you to be honest. If you're not a follower of Jesus, as we take communion, would you just sit and pray and ask for God to speak to you? There's prayers in the back of your bulletin that would give you some examples of what it would sound like. But, but hear the good news that whatever it is you're dealing with, it is currently separating you from God. It deserves the wrath of God, which is why Jesus came to the earth, died in your place to make a way for you to be not just forgiven and tolerated, but reconciled to God. His death on the cross pays the penalty for all those things that you honestly would say actually are distancing you from God. You could ask for help there. You could ask for him to speak to you. The front pew, there will be folks here who would love to pray for Christians and non-Christians alike. So come and be honest even while we declare the good news of who Jesus is. The way we take communion is we tear a piece of the bread off and dip it in the cup. There's gluten-free here in the middle and all the aisles have somebody. Let me pray for us and come when you're ready. Jesus, we declare together the good news that we can be honest because you have been honest. We can be honest about ourselves because you've been honest. You said the hardest thing about us already, that we were so broken, only your death, the death of God himself, was enough to cover us. And if the worst thing has already been spoken about us, then there's no need to hide because no one's going to discover something or you won't discover something that would finally distance us from you. You already know, already see, and have already made provision for that. So would you fill the room now with honest joy, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come when you're ready.